Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to our newest member of the Device Talks podcast family. It's called Medtronic Talks. Our constant search to find new ways to bring you insights in the medtech industry led us to the fine, fine folks at Medtronic. They've agreed to make their senior leaders available to us and to you. In each episode, we'll discuss the opportunities and challenges facing one of medtech's clear leaders, so you'll have an inside view on what makes Medtronic go. We'll ask the questions, Medtronic will provide the answers, and our great network of sponsors makes it all possible. So sit back, hop on a treadmill, take the dog for a walk, whatever you do when you listen to a great podcast, and let's listen to how Medtronic is getting the job done. Let's go. Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome to this episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. It's great to have you here. Today's guest quite literally needs no introduction, but I will give you one anyway. I had the opportunity to speak with Jeff Martha. Jeff, of course, is CEO and chairman of Medtronic. He became CEO last year, just as the pandemic started to set in last spring. So we talked a bit about his first year at the helm, about where Medtronic is and where Medtech is in the COVID recovery. But I think more interestingly, we talked about uh, what he learned about being CEO, what were some of the, the pros and the cons might be too strong, but, but things that uh, surprised him. We talked about uh, Medtronic's reorganization and its move forward to uh, hold employees uh, more accountable for market share. It was a great conversation. I learned a lot and I know you will too. Before we get into this conversation with Jeff Martha, I want to bring in Dave Francino. Dave is the president of Delve. Delve is this week's sponsor. Dave, I'd love to learn more about Delve. Tell us about your company. Tom, thanks. Delve is a full-service strategic design innovation firm, and our mission is to help companies research, design, develop, and implement innovative new products and services. We've been at that about 50 years. There's about 95 professionals who work for Delve, and, and we're located in three offices. We've got Madison, Wisconsin, uh, San Francisco, and downtown Boston as well for our staff. And, uh, really, the bulk of the firm is working on healthcare and medical devices. I'd say probably 85% of our work is in healthcare and medical devices. We jealously guard the part of our work that's not in healthcare and med devices. We think that really helps inform the work that we do. But the firm is primarily constructed around helping medical device manufacturers and healthcare bring innovative new products and services into the marketplace. We'll hear some exciting news about Delve a little later in the podcast. For more information, though, you can go to delve.com. Now, let's hear from Jeff Martha, the chairman and CEO of Medtronic. Well, Jeff Martha, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I, uh, I saw you on LinkedIn. Uh, this is kind of a, a softball question to start, but uh, you posted a graduation do- a picture of your daughter. And I recall from our first podcast, you shared the story of how you uh, had to break her heart and move her when she was she was 12 years old. It seems as if uh, she recovered okay. She has recovered. Yeah, it's funny, <laughs> funny you remembered that. Yeah, it was a, a difficult conversation to get her to to move from Milwaukee to uh, to here in Minneapolis. Now things have dramatically changed. She's a happy college graduate and she's moving back to uh, Minneapolis here and taking a, a job here in, in, in the Twin Cities and and she's super excited and her, and her mother and I couldn't be more thrilled that she's going to at least be in the same town as us so oh. it's good times for us. I can imagine. I, I, I wonder, 
I've talked to a lot of executives. A lot of them have moved in medtech and other industries throughout their career. That's not likely ever to go away. But do you see any meaningful changes to how medtech is working post-COVID? We're all sort of seeing maybe that moving isn't a necessity, uh, that relocation might not need to happen. Do you see any lasting changes to how corporations, what would corporations require of their executives? Yeah, I, I think uh, it's been changing, uh, Tom, over the years, I'd say. I mean, I, you know, I grew up in, in, uh, in GE and, and back in the 90s, it was, you know, you get to have a conversation with your manager. Well, we're thinking about this job in, in Oregon. And, you know, I go home and talk to my wife and say, look, let's, let's get the house on the market, you know, <laughs> and there was no question. We just moved. Right. And over the last uh, 15 years, I think that's, you know, people have been finding a, a little bit of more of a work-life balance and, and co- companies have been more, a little more flexible, but I do think after COVID, it'll be interesting. I think that flexibility will increase because of technology and, uh, you know, I'm, I, I still believe that in, you know, this hybrid idea uh, it's some sort of combination of face-to-face and you can use technology for part of the time. So I, I, I don't think you can lead a team remotely, uh, especially in an R&D environment, an innovation environment, full-time. You need to have some face-to-face, but I do mm-hmm. think there'll be more flexibility. There'll continue to be more flexibility around remote and virtual Interesting. Yeah, it'll be, see, it'll be interesting to see how things uh, develop. So we, we've, uh, well, let's just hit upon COVID for, for, for one second. I listened to your quarterly call. Uh, in that, you suggested or, or declared that, at least in the U.S., we seem to be moving, have moved past the COVID impact. Is, is that a fair assessment of, of what you said? Sure. It's not 100% back yet for every therapy, but, you know, by and large, you know, we're getting really close. And some of our therapies in the U.S. were even above pre-pandemic levels, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and others are in that 85%, you know, uh, or more. And even our more elective uh, cases, our more elective therapies or procedures are, are coming back. So I, I think the U.S. is, is very close to being is fully back, fully returned. And how are you managing OUS? Uh, obviously, it's in various stages and some horrible stages in, in some companies and markets. What, are you, what is Medtronic doing to support those businesses outside this country uh, and help them do the best that they can and obviously to weather this pandemic right. storm? Well, I think, you know, first of all, in, in some of the emerging, you know, more emerging markets, like, you know, you got to highlight India and parts sure. of Latin America, where COVID is still, and South and South and other parts of Southeast Asia outside of India, you know, where COVID is still a really big problem, even you know bigger than it had been prior. Uh, you know, the support it, it feels like we're back at day one in our uh, the way it was in the United States in in March and April of of, of uh, you know a year ago, 2020. It's it's really supporting those employees and their families. It's humanitarian crisis, and that's first and foremost. So we're doing a lot of expediting of different. You know, products and services to those markets, and and working with governments, both the U.S. government and uh, and I'll use India as an example. The Indian government. I'm on a task force that was organized by the White House to help. So it 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 feels like back in the early days of of you know, like I said, 2020. Uh, and you know, I, I I don't know fully why India didn't go through that experience back then, and they're going through it now. There's different theories, but nonetheless. It's a real humanitarian crisis, and it affects obviously the people on the ground in India, but also in an engineering company like ours. There's a lot of employees and leaders of Indian descent, and you know, and uh, so it's it's a very sensitive topic. And 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 I, I haven't talked to uh, an Indian employee that 
doesn't have a family member or close friend that's back that lives back in India that hasn't been impacted. So, so right now it's, it's an all hands on deck to get them supplies, ventilators, oxygenators, mm-hmm. and ultimately vaccines. And we're working with, uh, you know, various other companies, you know, the U S government, other governments, and, and of course the Indian government to make this happen. And, and so that's, that's, that's taken up a lot of time over the last couple of weeks. And then you've got some places like in the, you know, on, on the other extreme, like China that are like the U S that are fully you know returned. And, and then you've got like Europe, I'd say is in the middle where it, or it's closer to the United States. I think it just hit this, this, this uh, inflection point that we hit in us a few weeks ago or mm-hmm. you know, a month or two ago on, on vaccines where enough people are gotten vaccinated and, and, and you feel the momentum coming back in, in Western Europe. So with Western Europe, the support we're providing is some of the lessons learned, you know, that we learned in the U.S. is once you hit that inflection point, things move fast. And, and, I, and I hope that's what's going to happen in Europe. Have you required anything uh, internally at Medtronic vaccination wise? Have you communicated anything to employees? Oh, yeah. So we we've uh, again, you know, we work we have to work with the different jurisdictions around the world. In the U.S., it's it's by state, and and we've worked with various countries all over the map. Our team has done a great job at it, it, it provide it, it, it working with the governments to procure vaccines for our employees and their family members and the community mm-hmm. in some cases. And and we're doing you know uh, vaccinations out of our facilities, um, and uh, you know again working with the lo- local authorities uh, to get these uh, vaccines. And it's it's been it's been great. I mean, our employees and their families are, are very grateful for it, and 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 in the communities too. I mean, like in India, for example, we're trying to get vaccination vaccines to our Indian employees, but we've kind of you know agreed to this kind of two two one to three or you know you know one to four ratio for every va- employee we vaccine. We vaccine three in the community, so you know we're not tr- we're trying to make this um, you know good for our employees, but also for the communities that they're in. Do you have a threshold in mind, a vaccination rate of employees that you want to reach or hit? I think it's in line with, with what you're hearing. Like it, like it did take the U.S. I mean, mm-hmm. we're hoping to get into the 70s. Uh, and and I haven't gotten an update recently uh, on on the percentages, but it's it seems to be going pretty quickly. But like given how many employees we have in Medtronic, say it's 100,000-ish, and, and a good portion of those in the United States, call it 40, 50,000, you know, it starts to reflect what you're seeing in the country, right? You've got it. So it's, we'll probably mirror the, you know, the United States, maybe a, a little higher end because of being a healthcare company and mm-hmm. a little closer to it, there's maybe a bias to trust the science. And, um, you know, so, so maybe it's a little higher than what you're seeing in the United States. And, but so far, I, I, almost every employee I've talked to has, you know, been vaccinated. I swear, I didn't want to go down the, the COVID rabbit hole, but once you start talking about it, there's so many questions. Uh, but it's been a big part of your your first year as CEO, and I wanted to sort of talk about that. Both we'll talk operationally in, in a moment, but but just personally, um, I mean, this is your first CEO role. What is different about being the CEO? What are the positives? And, and have you identified anything, I don't want to say negatives, but any challenges perhaps that you, you you'd rather be without? All right, let's take a quick break from this conversation with Jeff Martha to visit again with Dave Franchino, the president of Delve. Dave, I understand you've had some exciting news at your company. You have a uh, an interesting merger you'd like to tell us about. Yeah, that's a, we're really excited about this, Tom. So after uh, 55 years of operating independently, Delve is going to be merging together with Bressler Group. They're a Philadelphia-paced full-service innovation consulting firm, and we're being helped in this merger 
venture by Trinity Hunt Partners. It's a Dallas-based private equity firm who's kind of helped us form a vision of a, a real comprehensive product design powerhouse. Relative to Bressler, very similar company to us. We've known and respected them for a long time. Very similar pedigree and history. They're about our size, common disciplines and specialties and their roots, their passion, similar to ours is in innovation, innovative consulting. And they have a a tremendous portfolio of medical device work. We've really over the last uh, half a year or so, we've got a chance to really get to know the leadership of Bressler. And it's going to be, I think, a lot of fun to integrate our two organizations. Um, together, we'll be one of the largest product development firms in the world. It basically doubles our capacity and our resources. And so the ability to take on more exciting and deeper projects. And then together with Trinity Hunt, we have some really exciting plans to expand and grow in areas that we think are really going to help our staff take on more challenging projects, help our clients with a broader range of services. And finally, Dave, I also understand that Delve has been recognized for some work it did in the MedTech area. Tell us about your recent award. Both uh, us and Bressler were both recognized as finalists for the 2021 Medical Design Excellence Awards. And so really excited by that. Similar to us, Bressler Group has a great focus in pedigree in healthcare and medical devices. And they ran for a rapid intuitive baby screening technology. And we are really proud of having run for a, the real immersion system that we did together with Penumbra which is the world's first virtual reality system that's purpose-built for stroke rehabilitation. So essentially, uh, the current state of technology in stroke rehabilitation is taking a stroke patient and walking them through a, a series of exercises to try to trust, test mobility. And with the real system, it actually tracks and displays upper extremity rehabilitation exercises for adults who might have symptoms related to stroke or neurological diseases. So with engineers and designers that had decades of experience in medical device development, that was combined together with essentially a 3D art and game development studio um, that allows a clinical practitioner to set up in a couple of minutes and then use sensors that can accommodate limited grip strength and mobility and allow patients to work through a series of exercises that's much more enjoyable. It's much more immersive. It offers kind of a gaming environment to the patient, but also provides real-time feedback and statistics to the clinical staff who's trying to track a rehabilitation. So it was uh, recognized with an MDEA gold award, and we're really excited and proud of the work. It's the type of work I think that really inspires our staff, and we really consider ourselves fortunate to have partnered with a great firm like Penumbra on that. Thanks for joining us, Dave Francino, and thank you, Dell, for sponsoring this episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. For more information about Dell, you can go to delve.com. I mean, this is your first CEO role. What is different about being the CEO? What are the positives? And, and have you identified anything, I don't want to say negatives, but any challenges perhaps that you, you, you'd you rather be without? Um, you know, the, the, there's a lot of positives. I mean, you know, being a, a CEO of a, of, a, of a company of any size, especially a, a large one, like an iconic company like Medtronic that's in healthcare, it's, 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 it's humbling to see you get a, a really a bird's eye view of just, and I think this is a healthcare comment uh, for certain, uh, a Medtronic comment how dedicated people are to, um, to healthcare and, 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 and helping other people's lives and how seriously they take that and how hard they work every day. 
And it's very inspiring to see that. You know, I, I, I think one thing I've learned over the, over the last year and COVID's really helped that is when you're, you got the resources available to you of a company like Medtronic and scientific capabilities, clinical capabilities, technology, balance sheet, you know, financing, relationships with physicians, you know, I've, I've started to think bigger, you mm-hmm. know, in terms of what we could and should be doing. And, um, you know, for sure, in the healthcare side, you know, we, we take great pride in that we uh, impact the, the lives of uh, two patients every second. That sounds like a lot. Every second, two patients, it adds up to roughly 80 million people a year. But then I started to think about that 80 million is just a small fraction of the world's population. And we tend to deal with the sicker people that, that need a, a cardiac device or a surgical procedure. And, and I do think that 80 million should go to 800 million. And, and, and we should be much more ubiquitous given the advancements in technology and the role that we could play in healthcare to, to really, you know, and a lot of it is, is this miniaturization of electronics and longer batteries, data and AI uh-huh. and all these things. And, you know, I really think we could get that that 800 million in a reasonable period of time, 800 million of patients versus 80 million. And so that is ship that, you know, I, I've really started to think about how, you know, the challenge is how do you run the company day to day to hit, you know, the goals we need to hit and keep everybody happy, but also have these, I wouldn't just call them aspirations, but, you know, real goals to really transform the company, transform healthcare. So that, that to me, um, is, you know, been the biggest, uh, I, I think, most exciting thing that you know, I'm dealing with right now is just once inspired every day by seeing these employees do what they do and, and our, and our customers, our partners, the physicians in the hospitals and, and two, just this opportunity to, to, to transform healthcare, given what we, what we have, you know, in terms of the other side of the ledger is, uh, you know, every, con- you know, as a, every conversation that you're in, every meeting that you're in, you, you know, people are really watching what you say and what you mm-hmm. do and, and every, every, every kind of mannerism. And so you really need to be on your game, you know, every day in terms of uh, you be a, po- a positive outlook, be patient, but have a sense of urgency, but be patient, you know, be optimistic, but pragmatic uh, to have a lot of energy to have that personal touch. And, you know, it, I've had to learn, you know, to kind of, I wouldn't say radically change my life, but could get better at, you know, kind of managing my energy and, and, and being disciplined so that every day I, I am in that mode and, you, and you've got to make trade-offs in your personal life that sometimes are difficult. You know, you, you want to go, you know, visit some friends for the weekend or this, and sometimes you just can't do that because uh, you've got to use the weekend to kind of really rejuvenate. And also sometimes just think because you're, you're going from, you know, event to event during the week. And yeah, you know, that, that, that kind of a lifestyle can be a little exhausting. So you, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's, it's definitely not a positive. I, I don't know if it's a negative, but I got to learn to deal with it and I've gotten better, but I'm still working on that. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I, I can relate to that doing a podcast and interviewing people all week, <laughs> by the end of the week, you're, you can be exhausted. Yeah. Um, oh, I had a thought and it just slipped it out of my head. Hold on. But like things that we talked about, like before getting on, things that I've, got, I've learned to do, like, you know, we talked about before we got on the show here, you know, hockey and, yeah. you know, still playing, you know, men's league hockey. And, you know, it sounds silly, but that, that hour, you know, I, you know, this, this weekend was an hour and 15 minutes and I was praying for that Zamboni guy. That <laughs> the door. I, was, I was so gassed, 
But, um, you know, that really, it's a different type of exercise. It's, it's a, it's a real release. And, um, that's really, that's what I'm talking about. It's part of my recovery process yeah, yeah. and uh, kind of uh, getting that recovery process, that rejuvenation process, both physically and mentally is something that you, you, you really have to get good at and you have to be consistent with. But, it. but, uh, I was going to say there's a lot of CEOs, I think to, to counter that, maybe they would draw at least per, publicly and they don't say as much publicly you're you've put yourself out there and, and, I, and I and i dare say you've you've inspired others to do that we've got the Medtronic talks podcast i don't think that does that doesn't happen if you don't put yourself out there and communicate get the videos on the investor relations calls i mean you're really making a point of of maybe you're being more more careful as to how you communicate but you're not you're not dialing back on that communication at all no i mean i i think um look what what, what great organizations do is they lay out a, you know, I think an ambitious or bold vision. They tell you what they're going to do and then they go do it and they update you along the way. So I do think it's important to communicate and, and these, these different communications, whether they be the earnings calls or podcasts like this, or a lot of internal, uh, you know, communications, you know I, know, I know various audiences, even though it might be geared to one audience is listening, they're listening and um, it's a way to move the organization forward and the ecosystem around us that's important uh, is to kind of set out that inspiring, ambitious vision, you know, and then along the way, update people and call balls and strikes. Mm-hmm. Like I said, on our earnings call, here's where we're winning share and here's where we're losing share. And, you know, I think it's um, it, everybody wants to be on the winning side. No one wants to be on the losing side, but we've got to be clear uh, with people. And, and look, the other thing is if you're going to accomplish something great, you got to be ambitious about it and you've got to be, vul- you got to make yourself vulnerable. So you've got to, you know, put yourself out there and, and, and you got to, sometimes it doesn't always work out. You have hiccups along the way and you, and you've got to own those and, and uh, be straight with people and don't try to sugarcoat it. And I think that gets you, um, it, you know, um, support and credibility and it's, it's liberating uh, to be honest with you. So yeah, we have, stepped up the communication quite a bit and, and I'm, I'm hoping that will and anticipating that will continue and, and evolve and evolve. And I noted that in the call and I, and I advise everyone who wants to, to balls and strikes and to see all the numbers, you do a great job with the, with the, with that presentation and they can get that here, get that on that presentation. But you did identify those businesses that could, that could, that perhaps I don't want to say disappointed, but that could do better. And you identified competitors who grabbed some market share from you or, or places where you lost some market share because right. of them. So, uh, I don't know if that's always done in these calls, but I was, I was. I had a few board members call me and say, you sure you want to call competitors out like that? I'm like, <laughs> we're not necessarily calling them out. We're not, it's not bad no. mouthing or track talking. It's just, you know, look, uh, we tend to use the word competitor. I'm like, well, in this case, you know, throw out, you know, you know, we lost share to Boston Scientific, you yep. know, and this other case, we gained share from Axonics, whatever. And it's not meant to be negative. It's just, it's just, it's clarity. Uh, and honesty. Oh, I thought and that's how it, um, that's interesting. You got that call, but I, but I took it that way as well. So, or took it as a, as a honesty. And one thing yeah. you talked about, and I do want to get into the businesses, but, but this is a great conversation. Your, your focus on, on market share. You said this will be the, the upcoming fiscal year will be the first time you, you count ga- market share gains and I presume losses as well. And, right. and cal- unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> There are some of those. In, in calculating compensation. Uh, I mean, that makes it very real for employees. How, how difficult it was to come up with a metric that, that measures it 
correctly, and maybe it's super simple. I don't know. And no, it's not. And and are you just looking at at dollars generated? Are you looking at lives touched? Are there other sort of factors when you when you come up with market share? Yeah. Well, look. Uh, you know, in some cases, we've got really um, granular and accurate data. Uh, in some of our markets, us and our competitors year, years ago, way before me, and have agreed to submit their data to an independent third party, like an accounting mm-hmm. firm, like a Deloitte or somebody. And, th- and then that firm publishes that data on it. Uh, and so we know what the overall market's doing. And then we know what our you know, piece is. So we can tell if we gained or lost share. And, and so there, it can be very specific. In other cases, we're triangulating and it's very difficult, right? We're reading earnings reports, adding, take, triangulating our data with earnings reports from other companies who have various numbers grouped together. and We've got to splice them apart. So it's not exact, but you can get a trend at least, and you can see a trend. And so I, I've asked the team, don't get so caught up in precision, get the general trend. Uh, and, and just going through this exercise has been helpful. The other thing I'd say, Tom, is we are looking at, you know, very unique cases. So we may, you know, for our cardiac rhythm business, measure it one way, but for our spine business, measure it mm-hmm. another way, just based on the availability of data, based on what we're trying to talk. Again, it, we're not, this is internally for us. Uh, it's not meant to be some, you know, audited number. It's like, okay, but in a, it, it's, it's, it's as precise as we can get it. And it's as contextual as we can get it, right? In some cases, it's units. Some cases, it's dollars. Some cases, we're looking for more of an improvement trend quarter over quarter. In other cases, you know, more year over year. So, but, so we'll see. This will be our first year. And, and j- just this last year, just, you know, learning how to track it better and talking about it and then debating it internally, even arguing, you know, over, okay, what's the best way? Uh, it's been it's been a learning, you know, uh, and the idea here is is to really get the organization focused on it. And, and one of the other challenges is just the messaging around it. You know, you know, one share of like market growth versus is way more important. Than one share of market share growth, really. I mean, one point is show mark growing the market's more important. So this doesn't take our focus off growing the starting new markets and growing. The, it, it's an and it's mm-hmm. like, look, you need to grow the market. But you also need to, you know, be competitive, and and it's an and, not an or, and kind of getting that message across that hey, look, we're not just shifting to from a innovation-driven company that's really focused on market development, which is what Medtronic, I think, you know, really separates the company. Like you know, starting different segments. Hopefully, a new one will start as renal, you know, renal denervation for hypertension. That's a new one will start and lead and leading these markets. That's what Medtronic's known for. That's what it's, it's awe-inspiring to just watch that process play out. We're not moving away from that. We're just saying once we open up these markets and start to grow them, we need to build, you know, keep that share for longer. Or when conversely, like we're entering a new market with surgical robotics and we're competing against intuitive, you know, you know, we want to, you know, really partly measure ourselves again, market growth, because there's a lot of market growth there more than anything, but also, you know, how we're doing against uh, the competition there. So it's both. And I'm glad you hit upon those two. I was going to get into them later, but let's bring it up now with the, with, with robotics, how does the Maser rollout or the your your Maser business has that helped inform what you're doing with Hugo? You brought that up in the call that you're you know you, you mentioned some of the successes you have with Missouri rather. Um, is it comparable to to Hugo? Does it help help you sort of lay out a, a plan for for rolling that out, or is it completely different? Well, there's some. It is quite different, you know, because you're in in spine. You're we were you know us and. Uh, you know, Globus are the first two with, with uh, you know, 
I, you know, there may be others that are calling themselves robots, but these two seem to be the leading ones. And, and so, and it was new for spine surgeons. So we were, we, we were earlier on there um, in, in, in blazing that trail. And so the spine, you know, the spine surgeons weren't as discerning because this was the first robot they had. Mm-hmm. So it's not quite the same versus in surgery, you know, Da Vinci has been out there for 20 years or something like that. So uh, the surgeons have, you know, and the, and the, and the sophistication of robotics has evolved for, for quite a, a bit longer there. So there's not an exact analog, but there's definitely some lessons learned. I mean, we learned, you know, how to think about going to market. Like we have a, this is a big commercial uh, capital equipment purchase. So you have a, 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 you know, it's a certain skill to sell a piece of capital like that to a hospital, you get into the budgeting process, the C-suite, it's a big million dollar plus purchase. Then there's a, you need to have a, a there's a lot of training that goes. And so you have to have a certain, training sales force at the beginning, it's, it's a little more hyper care model as we call it until the surgical team is up and running and, and, and then you have the, the maintenance. So how to think about go to market and how to think about different acquisition models. Uh, there's a lot of lessons learned uh, that are, that are going to help. And so for sure, the uh, Mazor experience is, is going to help us on the uh, surgical robot side, but I don't want to make it out to be, it's exactly the okay. same. Cause it's, it's, it's definitely not, um, there's quite a bit of differences. There's a, there's a lot more. One thing, the business models, I think there's a little bit more, there might be some more flexibility in spine because you, you've got so many more, you know, uh, consumables per procedure. I mean, the spine cases, there's a lot more, you know, value in the consumables than a, an average general surgery case that gives you different options on business models that, that, that are a little bit more difficult in surgery, but, but, um, Definitely, it's informing us, and we're using, for example, we're using the scale of our maintenance business that came from our neuroscience area. Because not just robots, we got robots, we got imaging, like the OR, we've got navigation. So that service organization, we're going to leverage region by region to help our robotics maintenance. So there are some synergies as well. Two more questions. Uh, rental innovation, obviously, you don't have the approval yet, but you're 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 anticipating hopefully that some exciting news in the fall at TCT, if you have clinical results. What are you doing now to prepare? Are you doing anything now to prepare for a commercial rollout? And is it a, uh, are, are you starting from scratch with that sort of rollout? Uh, with, Cause it's such an innovative technology. What, what goes into building that kind of business? Well, it's a, it's um, you, first of all, given that it's a new concept, right? I, I think the go, the, the marketing of it needs to be different, right? It's, it's, it's not like um, it's a whole new concept, the uh, uh, hypertension therapy, that's device related. I mean, people are thinking about hyper. Mm-hmm. They think about, well, change my diet and exercise, take some pills, you know, uh, a pharma regimen, but uh, some sort of med device procedure, you know, uh, with a catheter. And you know, this this seems crazy. So, you know, we're going to have to. Uh, for, we can't rely on, in this case, the United States, the interventionalist here, the the interventional cardiologist. I think the marketing job we need to kind of work with them on, and and work go direct to the patient to drive um, uh, awareness. So we've been building that muscle of how to go direct to patient to drive awareness of what, you know, the, the benefits of this, the, this therapy exists, the benefits of it, and then build the referral pathway from that, you know, that consumer who could be a patient into the healthcare system through their primary care and or cardiologist, and eventually get to that interventional cardiologist. So that we're working on you know, the, the direct patient marketing, uh, as well as the, the referral pathway, um, which is something unique that uh, in the past, most of the, if you think about it, you know, even with a new 
uh, therapy, a lot of the times the concept is out there and the referral pathway is set. It's just a new mousetrap here. This is a whole new concept without the referral pathway. So that's mm. probably the biggest thing. And then reimbursement, even, you know, we're working with different uh, commercial payers on, on, and, and CMS on reimbursement. Okay. And, and perhaps a final question. I know you have to go. Uh, last week you had uh, your, the decision or the, the announcement about hardware. Uh, right. What was, what went into the decision to, to stop selling hardware and, how is that calculation done? Can you share, give us a little color on, on that process? Well, sure. This was one, I mean, there's just for context, there's, you know, two, these are very sick patients. There's, there's two, uh, two therapies out there today. Uh, you know, one, you know, two left ventricular assist device, you know, um, one from Abbott and, and one from Medtronic, both companies purchased these, uh, smaller companies years ago. And, and, um, you know, I, I, there was a, it was a growing body of evidence that, that what really drove the decision is a growing body of as evidence that uh, Abbott's device was better for patients. Um, you know, we got some new data to, to show that, that is just, it's in the process of being published that, uh, that our device uh, has a higher neurological events, uh, higher uh, incidence of neurological events, including stroke and, and a higher mortality and um, you know, on top of that, we've had some some performance issues with the with the device. But the the bigger issue for us was that, and that there's an alternative, and that alternative in, in Abbott's device, you know, I had I had lower rates, and the the rates were different enough that um, you know we just felt it was better for patients. So it's it's it kind of goes it that kind of it goes straight to the heart of Medtronic's mission driven you know focus. I mean, we're disappointed we couldn't. Uh, address some of these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a complicated therapy. We couldn't get it to where we wanted to, but the, the path was uncertain and the time was too long. To, you know, and, and so we decided to, in the, in, the, in the name of better patient care, to, to make this decision. And financially, it's, it's not a, you know, it's, it's a hit, but we can absorb it. It was in our guidance um, we, you know, from our earnings call because we, we kind of anticipated something like this. But, uh, you know, look, our reputation is, is the most important thing here at Medtronic and uh, our mission. And, and this is the right thing for patients. It, it, was there any external review that went, went along with that? Or was this all internal, all Medtronic sort of analyzing the data and coming up with conclusions? Oh, no, no, no. We, we wouldn't do make a decision like this alone uh, normally. I mean, we, we work with the FDA. Uh, yeah. We work with independent physician group as well that, you know, again, by, when I say it's independent, they're, they, they, they're in this space. Um, but not tied into Medtronic and they, they provide us independent thoughts. And so we work with both uh, hand in hand in hand. And as a matter of fact, we showed the FDA, you know, some of the data that we knew was coming that was, you know, emerging. Um, and, and so, yeah, the FDA was working with us. And, and then ultimately uh, if you notice the, there was a timing with, with Abbott that uh, they released a press release saying that they could handle the extra volume, you know, working with Abbott to make sure that they were prepared as well. Uh, I mean, you know, alerting them, I mean, and, and, and giving them some time to, to be prepared. So again, we tried to make this as little a patient impact as possible uh, and, and make sure that we had all the right decision makers around the table because there are trade-offs and you're down to, you know, one therapy here, at least for the, for the, for the next several years. Uh, and, but we thought that the trade-off, when I say we collectively, all the, all the people we consulted with and the organizations, that this is the right decision. Great. I don't want to take any more of your time. I appreciate it, Jeff. Great. Thank you for uh, joining us on the podcast. All right. Thanks, Tom. Good talking to you as always.
Well, that is a wrap. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. Thanks again to Jeff Martha for taking the time and sharing his story. You can find other episodes of this podcast on devicetalks.com. I am editorial director of Device Talks. You can also find our Device Talks weekly podcast on devicetalks.com as well. You can find both of these podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, all the biggies. You can find them there. You can subscribe to them there so you don't miss a future episode. Finally, if you share this podcast, and please do share this podcast on your social media channels, please tag me. I am on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi, S-A-L-E-M-I, or you can find me on Twitter at MedTechTom. Thanks again, Jeff Martha, for joining us. Thanks again to Delve for sponsoring this episode. Join us next time. We'll have another great episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast waiting for you.